for a week, and this is kind of not by the beach. This is in the woods, down a canyon, kind of. It, we're talking not in like the nice part of San Juan Capistrano. And uh, it was a great opportunity for Emily to keep up her nursing skills, make a little money, and the whole family went and kind of unplugged from civilization. We were staying not in a tent, but in this really rustic, probably that's the nice way of putting it, cabin. And um, it was great in some ways. There was no internet, there was no TV. I was able to get a lot of reading done. Lucy had a blast. She got to hang out with the older kids at the camp and do you know campy things and whatnot. While I was there, I got into this interesting conversation with the, the groundskeeper of the camp, or the, the maintenance guy. He lives there full-time, year-round, by himself, maintaining everything. He's, he's sort of an interesting guy. He's a, he's a middle-aged man with you know gray hair, pulled back in a ponytail, uh, wearing denim jeans and a band t-shirt. He's like the quintessential hippie. <laughs> You know, carryover from the 60s kind of guy, you know. Anyway, I got into an interesting conversation with him while he was on the back of a, of a bulldozer one day. I did, we just stopped and started talking. And he told me how much he loves to read about quantum physics. And he loves to write about God and in science. And he's not like a scientist. He's just an enthusiast. But he loves to read and do his own writing about that kind of stuff. And he talked to me about how much he loves this camp and what he wants for the kids that come there more than anything else is to gain a sense of, of um, not servitude, but a sense of um, care and concern for, for the environment. He wants the kids that come there feel a sense of responsibility and stewardship, that's the word I'm looking for, a sense of stewardship for creation care, that they might even connect to God through nature as a result of coming to this, this camp deep in a canyon in San Juan Capistrano. Um, and what he was saying reminded me of this meme I came across recently that I wanted to, to share with you. I don't have it up on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. The meme says, said this, the universe is an ongoing explosion. That's where you live, in the middle of an explosion. <laughs> also, we don't absolutely know what living is. Sometimes atoms arranged in a certain way just get very haunted. That's us. And when an explosion explodes hard, hard enough, dust wakes up and thinks about itself. And then writes about itself. <laughs> I love that, and I love how it how it ends, that last part. When an explosion explodes hard enough, meaning the Big Bang, dust wakes up and thinks about itself and then writes about itself. I think that really captures just how amazing our existence is and how it speaks of something transcendent beyond our comprehension. Something tells me, Richard it was his name, this the groundskeeper, the maintenance guy at the camp. Something tells me Richard would like that meme too. And I enjoyed my conversation with him overall, but there was one part I didn't like. He told me a story about how there were these two sycamore trees on the property that grew up together. You know how trees sometimes do that. They grow up side by side, big trees, such that their roots were completely intertwined with each other. One day, one of the trees partly toppled over. And I say partly, it didn't go all the way because the, the roots of the other tree were keeping it from completely collapsing. 
And the thing was, is that it was collapsing towards the oldest and most historic building on the property. And so Richard saw this, and he was telling me that he believes that God, in a, in a moment of divine intervention, many years ago when these trees first started growing up, that God had made them and their roots intertwine so that this tree, when it would collapse, wouldn't completely destroy the most historic and oldest building on the property and thus allow Richard and others to show up with chainsaws and cut the tree down and save the building. And he called this a divine intervention. And I, and I thought, well, you mean maybe more like a divine intervention? Get it? Divine intervention? All right. I didn't say that, but thank you. Thank you. I tried. I, I try. I haven't done this in a year. Thank you. This is great. I love having a live audience to laugh at my dumb jokes. So I didn't have the heart to tell him. This is why I didn't like this part of the conversation. Now, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know if God made those trees grow together. I have to be honest about that. I don't know. But I didn't really like that explanation. <laughs> I didn't really like where he was going with this divine intervention theory that he had. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that, you know? I just kept nodding along as you do, I guess. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I think that is just a case of sheer randomness. Nature doing what nature does all the time, right? And sometimes trees don't partially topple over, but completely topple over and, just, and destroy people's homes, right? I didn't have the heart to tell him that, but it got me thinking about how there's actually something kind of harmful sometimes about believing that God intervenes and saves some people from horrible things and not others. Have you ever heard of someone who, you know, survived a horrific car accident and they say, it was a miracle. God was looking out for me. God delivered me in that moment. God was really, really looking out for me. And yet they never mention the other people involved in the accident who were either, you know, severely injured or killed. Where was God for them? Doesn't the claim that God chose to protect me directly imply that God must have chosen not to protect them? Isn't that kind of an insensitive thing to say sometimes, depending on the circumstances, right? But that's kind of an insensitive thing to say, even if it's not our intention. I think all this comes from a, a deep need to feel like someone is in control, like someone is looking out for us and making sure we're not really subject to the random and cruel forces of nature. Because that's really scary, right? That's, that's really scary to think that we're not being guarded and protected. And it's tempting on days like today, you know, our first Sunday back in more than a year. It's been 16 months. It's tempting on days like today to say, God protected us, God didn't allow the pandemic and the shutdown to destroy our little church. God kept the tree of COVID from crushing us and our church here, right? And now he's helping us get back to normal and rebuild and everything's going to be okay. You know, as a pastor on, on days like today, it's, it's tempting to go that direction. And, and many pastors will today, right? Or already have. And I want to be really... <laughs> I really, I want to be really uplifting and hopeful today, and I will be. Just give me a minute, all right? Um, <laughs> I, I actually thought about comparing our return to in-person services today. Just for a minute on Monday of this week, I thought about comparing us to the Israelites returning to Jerusalem 
after the Babylonian captivity, right, to rebuild the temple from ruins and how God helped them do that and how that means that God is going to help us rebuild our church. And then I thought how inappropriate that comparison actually is for so many reasons, not the least of which is that we are nothing like ancient Israel returning to a destroyed Jerusalem and temple after 70 years in Babylonian captivity. That's not us, not even close. But I also just don't want to make claims about God's providence like that anymore. I, I just can't do it. And that's me. I understand that's me. But that's just not where I'm at theologically, and I know many of you feel the same way. I think theologizing moments like this, attempting to, to explain moments like this theologically, while understandable and comforting, actually robs us. I think it actually robs us of a of a deeper and more life-giving move, a move, a, a, a more meaningful act of faith is what I mean. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and you've heard this text before. It's just one, one sentence, but you've heard it before. And now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. I never caught the truly incendiary nature of that passage until recently in my life. Maybe a a couple years ago. When Paul says that faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love, he's saying that, that love is greater than even faith. Love is greater than even whatever you call faith. Which means, to me, at least in part, that love trumps whatever we believe about God. Whatever beliefs we have about his power, his providence, his existence, his ontological nature, his involvement in the world, his, his ability to intervene in history. Whatever we believe about all that stuff, love trumps it all. Love trumps all that abstract theology and metaphysics and, and attempts at explaining the world theologically because love is what gives life ultimately its meaning. Love is what infuses the world with meaning and beauty and depth. Faith isn't really what does that. It's love. And by that, I don't mean warm and fuzzy feelings for others, but I mean a certain conviction, a certain way of valuing life and valuing the world and valuing each other and valuing the present right here, right now, what we have. Just, just the simple beauties of life and being and, and the humanity of others, their value, their worth, their beauty. This is, this is the conviction of love. And it is a kind of faith. The greatest, the deepest kind of faith, actually. When we give ourselves completely over to love the way that Christ did, we find the courage to face anything. Even death itself. Moreover, its life becomes infused with an unparalleled depth of meaning. Even in the face of life's Utter meaninglessness. Life can be utterly meaningless, full of emptiness, perplexities we don't have the answer to, vanity of vanity, all is vanity and chasing after the wind. The wisdom literature of the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us. Emptiness is in everything. Who's to know what's to come after this? Who's to know? Life is uncertain. And yet, in the midst of this reality, we can find meaning, we can find courage, we can find a kind of faith in love itself, the love of life, the love of others, our commitment to a set of values such as that. 
Love, therefore, is the deepest and most courageous kind of faith. Things like COVID-19 are a stark reminder that nature is utterly cruel, random and meaningless. Nature is also beautiful. It's what fills the world with life and all the splendor that we see. It's, it's all that. But COVID-19, moments like this in history, are a reminder that there is no rhyme or reason to why things like this virus happen. There's no rhyme or reason to why a tree falls on one person's house and not another. The cross, too, is an example of life's unjust, chaotic, and absurd nature. What's more absurd than a crucified God? What's more unjust than a crucified, innocent man? The cross says life is absurd, life is unjust, God is crucified, life doesn't make sense. The cosmos is full of meaninglessness and emptiness. But in the courageous acceptance of this truth and by giving ourselves completely over to love the way that Christ did, we find a kind of abundant life or everlasting life. We find God in the midst of this here and now with us in Christ. This is faith to me. This is faith in Christ. To have faith in Christ is to have faith in love itself. For God is love, Scripture says. Only such faith can carry us through difficult times like these, I suspect. I'm reminded of something today that Martin Luther once said, that great German reformer. He was once asked how he would respond if he knew the world was going to end tomorrow. Kind of an eschatological apocalyptic question. If you knew the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do? Someone once asked him, and he responded, I'd plant an apple tree, <laughs> which is a bizarre answer, right? But that's a deep affirmation of life, life in the face of death. It's a deep affirmation or a deep demonstration of the love of life. On the surface, it sounds futile, right? Why would you plant a tree if you knew the world would end tomorrow? And in a way, it is futile. It is futile. But no more futile than everyday life. No more futile than knowing that every day may be our last. And that ultimately, no matter what we build or create in life, we can't take it with us, and it too will turn to dust. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity and chasing after the wind. This is life. The point is, doing anything noble or good or loving is always a way of planting an apple tree at the end of the world. It's always a life-affirming act. It's always an act of love, which is always an act of faith. Faith in life and faith in love, it's love itself. I'll never forget something that happened early in the pandemic last year. It was March, actually, of last year, so really early in the pandemic. And I think this is a great example of the kind of faith I'm talking about. I, some of you might remember this. I performed a wedding in my front yard for a couple that goes to Central, um, Erica and Matthew Smith. They were all set to have their wedding in Savannah, Georgia that month, but of course COVID happened, story of our lives, and their wedding was canceled. But they still wanted to get married on March 27th, I believe it was, because that was the date of their when they first started dating and that was going to be their wedding day. And so they asked me to marry them in, my, in the front yard of the parsonage, just the three of us, and I did. This too is a way of planting an apple tree at the end of the world. Who gets married 
under circumstances like that, in the middle of a pandemic with just themselves and me present, and I guess Emily and Lucy were there too. It's such a dark and scary time, and yet maybe that makes it the perfect time to get married. It's the perfect time to find ways of affirming and celebrating life. It's the perfect time to affirm all the ways that love conquers fear and infuses our lives with meaning. This is faith. This is faith. And I wanted to speak on this today because I don't know what's going to happen next, and nobody does. The, the mask mandate is, of course, reinstated yesterday, <laughs> the day before we choose to go back to some semblance of in-person services, right? The Delta variant is on the rise all over the nation. Who knows what's to come? We're not at the end of this, perhaps. This may be only the beginning. I don't know. Nobody does. And I wish today felt more victorious to me. I wish it did, but it doesn't, to be honest. I wish it felt like, oh, we're getting back to normal and everything's going to be okay. But everything still feels chaotic and uncertain. That's how I feel at least. Such is life. And I'm sure you feel the same way at some level about circumstances in your life, maybe with your job or your living situation. But I want to remain hopeful. And, and I do remain hopeful, and I hope you do too. I love this church. I love what we've built here, this unique and crazy little thing. I love you guys. You too. <laughs> and I think the future is bright. I think that if any spiritual community is able to adapt to the dramatically changing world and all the challenges that come with it, if any spiritual community is able to adapt to this world and to speak meaningfully into this world, this coming world even, it's us. It's a community like this one. We've done it before. We'll do it again. <laughs> you know? I have faith in us because we are a community guided by love and guided by honesty, which, and for that reason, I believe God is with us. Or perhaps better put, we are with God because God is love. This is what I believe. This is my hope. This is my faith. And in that spirit, I want to invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to receive communion now. And the way we're going to do that is, obviously, we've got some tables set up with some gluten-free, just like the good old days, gluten-free crackers and some grape juice. But everybody come on up now and keep your masks on for the moment and just gather around a table. And we're going to receive communion together in just a moment. I'll give everybody a chance here and, and there to prep their elements. Bob, I don't know if it's possible for you to widen the shot to show kind of who's up here. If it's not, that's cool. Bob did a, and did a great job getting this whole thing set up to work on Zoom. Wow, that's, that's cool. Yeah, you're able to do it a little bit. Yeah, see, there's people here. Wow, it's amazing. For me, the deeper meaning of the Lord's Supper is that we become the resurrected body of Christ in the world. In the Lord's Supper, Christ's corpse, I know that's kind of macabre, but Christ's corpse, Christ's body is dismembered and scattered among us as bread and wine and then received and remembered, remembered within us, his followers. 
Thus we become the remembered body of Christ. This is a deeply mystical understanding in some ways, but one with real-world meaning for me. Christianity is about the death or the deconstruction of a certain understanding of God that functions as an escape from reality and our responsibilities in the world. In the Lord's Supper, a different understanding of God is resurrected in us, and we become a Holy Spirit community that embodies Christ afresh, anew in the world today. And so with that in mind, you can take down your mask and receive the bread and the cup as, uh, as you see fit. I want to thank everybody for being here today. This does conclude <laughs> the formal time of our service together. You can return to your seats. Um, but I also, as every, every week, we do want to just leave a space at the end here for any comments or questions. Uh, anybody here or perhaps uh, up there, Bob's, you're doing a great job. <laughs> and uh, if, if not, that's okay. But we always like to leave room for conversation and dialogue and questions. Uh, anybody on Zoom or anybody present here have anything they want to uh, discuss about today? Is that someone, Bob, that wants to talk? What's that? Oh, okay. Cool, cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Yeah, Rodney. Yeah, and Rodney, come on down here because so everybody on Zoom can hear. You got to use the mic. I know. Now you're like, why did I do this? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I was thinking about your sycamore tree story, and one of the things that annoys me about God is that He always gets off scot free. Yeah. I mean, you know, we say God is good. And in the black church, they always respond all the time. So that's just kind of a knee-jerk reaction. God is good all the time. So when you ask the question, somebody says, you know, they survived a car accident and it was a miracle. And then somebody else didn't. Well, where was God for the guy who didn't survive? Well, he was there for them too. He, he called that guy home. You know, so it's like, yeah, because God is always good. So he doesn't make mistakes. And so that's kind of what we're led to believe, and it's annoying. <laughs> You're like, huh? does he not ever make mistakes? I mean, really? So yeah, it, it makes me think of he's always there, he's always good, so no matter your perspective, God is good all the time. So. Yeah, I appreciate that. You summed it up quite well, and that's kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah, I'm with, I think we're all with you on that. Thank you, Rodney, for that. Yeah, good stuff. I don't feel I need to really comment any further. You nailed it, man, yeah. Um, all right, yeah, any, anybody else today? Aaron, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, who's that? That's Ben. Hey, yeah, uh, can hear you loud and clear, Ben. Everybody can hear okay, you. Okay, cool. 
First, I just wanted to say hello, everyone. And then, uh, uh, secondly, um, a beautiful message today, Aaron. Thank you so much for it. Um, actually, Aaron and I were, uh, my wife Aaron and I were actually talking about hope and love of life the other day because um, we had some, you know, we we're dealing with like a flea infestation and other um, kind of life troubles. Um, and it really makes you talk about some of these, you know, deep, deeply held beliefs you have. But, um, but this is a great, perfect timing for a topic today. Um, and we were discussing hope and how a lot of times hope, especially like how I grew up, a lot of times hope looks like a specific outcome. Like a lot of times people think of hope as like a positive outcome. Um, you know, uh, hey, hold on one second, Ben. Expecting. Bob, can you turn him up a little bit? I'm having trouble hearing him. It's a simple thing. Thank you. Go ahead, Ben. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. We were talking about how a lot of times hope, especially for me growing up, hope looked like a very specific outcome, like a positive outcome. You know, it's like we're going to just we're just going to expect that, you know, things are going to work out and things are going to be good. And, and, you know, you know, God is going to heal this or, or whatever. And, and I really echo what you had said, Rodney, too. I, I really I really feel that, too. Um, but to your point, Aaron, we I think we both realized that maybe real hope and this is pretty much exactly what you're saying is that, you know, real hope is carrying on and moving forward without the promise of that outcome. You know what I mean? Like like what what could be more hopeful than that, you know, that, that you carry on and you affirm life and you keep moving forward um, without knowing for sure whether it's going to work out and it's going to be okay, you know, and, and that that's the real uh, hope and affirmation for life. So, I mean, that, that's all I really wanted to share, but I thought, yeah. it was, I thought what you yeah. said today was great. Yeah, thanks, Ben. And I, I really always like to connect that, and, and that's a great point, I always like to connect that back to the cross, because for me, that's the symbolism of the cross. We don't know any, everything's going to work out okay. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is, this is the cross. Right. This is life. And, right. uh, but in that radical embrace, hey, there's your cat. Uh, <laughs> in, in that, we, find, we, we can find some serenity. We can find, we can find the courage to go on. And, and, and in that sense, find something divine and even just, I don't know, divine in the midst of that, I feel like. So, you know, in that, Christ is with us, I believe. But um, thank you, Ben. And uh, anybody else today before we conclude? Yeah, Nathan, come on down. Just a thought, and I'd like your take on this, because I, I was thinking about that Sycamore question. And I think you're totally right in the sense that there may not be a reason um, why it was, you know, it just happened that way. But, but what if the phenomenon of seeing that stirs something in somebody? You know, it's like, well, truthfully, it probably was just random. But I experienced this random synchronistic, or just this thing, and in me, it stirred a sense of awe, wonder, divine inspiration, something like that. And then in that sense, is it from God? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? There's the kind of a paradox there. And um, I just wanted to pose it. You know, I, I think there was a time when I would have been more cynical about it and been like, nah, I'm not buying whatever your experience is. But as I've kind of grown older, I feel like, well, if that's how you experienced it, and it changed you for the better, like it, it drew you closer to God in, in your understanding of what God is or the divine is, 
And who am I to tell you otherwise? Um, but it can get you into some tricky, you know, because then they can be like, well, God now tells me this, and God now tells me this. And you can go down that rabbit hole of all of that. But in a pure sense, you know, if, person, if a person is in that traffic accident and walks away and, you know, God forbid nobody else was hurt, and they have a moment of clarity, maybe that is something worthy of, you know, God. That's really good, yeah. And I, I think the answer is it can be both. I mean, like I didn't, and I wouldn't even now react to him and, and, and be like, well, that's just bullshit. <laughs> I wouldn't do that for the very reasons you say, because it has something deeply meaningful and spiritual to him. And who am I to take that away from him? But that doesn't mean that I have to take it just like he did. Does that make sense? And if anything, like my take on it today and how I used it to talk about this deeper move of faith into the world, into reality, into you know, my understanding of reality, and, but into love itself and the radical embrace of difficult truths, that too is a kind of mystical interpretation of the sycamore. Does that make sense? So it's not, so you're absolutely right, Nathan, is what I'm saying to say that for some people, maybe like Richard, that is something that gives him a sense of, of the divine presence in nature itself and in his life. And that's beautiful and we should never take that away. But like for me, I take a completely different look at that. And for me, it's a calling into embrace the difficult truths of our lives and in that way, find a deeper kind of spirituality in the aftermath of that move. Does that make sense? It can be both. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be rejection of him. And I know it can be heard as that. And in, in a way, I am. I am saying, no, I don't believe that. I don't agree with him. Because that's where I'm at spiritually. And that's where I think a lot of us are at. And, and again, you can hold on to both. We can live in the tension of, of these things, you know. And I think that's... That's the deeper spiritual move, <laughs> living, living to learn and, or learning to live in the tensions of, of these truths and, and accept that people are going to experience the world quite differently. We live in separate realities and we can make space for that. But anyway, I, I don't want to re-preach that sermon, but thank you, Nathan. I, 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 think, I think there's definitely a great point there. Um, all right. Yeah, good stuff. I'm really happy this wasn't like an awkward ending or <laughs> nobody said anything. Um, anybody else before we conclude? Ben, did you have something you wanted to say? Oh, okay. Did I have something to say? Well, you're on the screen, man. Oh, I don't know. Oh, have I been big this whole time? That's you, great. No, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I could make a con I'm not going to make a joke. All right. Uh, anybody else? Well... Alrighty. Thanks for being here, everybody. First in-person service in 16 months. We did it. And we did it before. Yeah. Yeah. Let's feel good about this. And we're done before 11.05. Yeah. It's time for lunch. Go in peace.